What up, Oasis family? My name is Kenneth. Thank you for taking some time to be with us today. Uh, if you are just joining us, we have been in an incredible series on family values, and I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to some of the messages that you may have missed. Uh, we've talked about why we pray together, why we eat together. And the last few weeks, Pastor Julian has actually been unpacking the tabernacle and the temple and sharing why we worship together. So today we're gonna take a bit of a shift I want to establish a definition of what worship is, what constitutes as worship. Because I think in order for us to grow, in order for us to have a valuable conversation, it's going to help if we have clear understanding and definitions on what we're talking about. And then I'm going to share a few ideas on why does it matter? Why, why should we care? Why should we worship together? Why is it important? So the first thing I want to do is establish a definition that is easy to understand, tangible definition of what worship is. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible simply describes worship as the expression of reverence and adoration of God. Now, throughout the years, this has looked very different. Abraham built altars and gave sacrifices anywhere that God appeared to him. In Moses' time, the tabernacle, which Pastor Julian has been talking about recently, served as a portable version of God's presence. Um, David wrote songs called Psalms. Deborah, the only female judge named in the Bible, brought the people of Israel away from idolatry and turned them back to a life of worship. Solomon built the first temple. Hannah prayed to God for a son, and then she dedicated her son, who would later become the prophet Samuel, to God once he was born. Uh, today we sing songs, we pray. Some people consider how we live, what we eat, what we do or don't do with our bodies, worship to God. Uh, a lot of modern Christians sometimes think that Worship is only what happens weekly on a Sunday, or it's just the songs or a concert at the beginning of service, but worship is so much more than that. Ancient Israel had a much more broad definition of what worship was. Uh, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7, it says that you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and where you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. So we see in the home, worship was living in consideration of God's word and God's principles and righteousness, not only just living that way on our own, but also teaching our children the importance and the significance of God's word so that they could do the same. Uh, in Luke 2, it talks about how eight days after a child was born, the mother of that child would go to the temple for purification and dedication. This is a time where if you had a son, he would be circumcised. Uh, he would be circumcised. Thank God today, pastors are not circumcising people because I'm not cutting anybody. I watched my son go through that, and I'm not doing that to anybody. Uh, Numbers 18, it talks about how each harvest, a basket of the, of the first fruits and a tenth of all the harvest, the tithe, was given to the priests and God, as God's representatives. Exodus 23, it talks about how men would come throughout the year to celebrate national pilgrimage festivals. It was unthinkable for a family to be in the temple, to be at a service, to be in the synagogue without the head of that family represented. Um, after the first temple was destroyed, synagogues were created for public worship consisting of prayer, Bible reading, and preaching, which is probably the first instance of what we understand as church today. In John 1, it talks about how after the second temple was destroyed in 70 AD, there were no more sacrifices because Jesus, the true Lamb of God, 
removed the need for future sacrifices. So just in those examples, we see how the form of worship has changed a lot over the years. It's not just a concert at the beginning of service. It's not just something that happens on Sunday, but it's also how we live. Um, and it's something that can happen throughout the week, every day of our lives. But throughout time, the heart and the purpose has remained the same, an expression of adoration and reverence for God. So now that we have a clear understanding of what worship is, I want to share a couple thoughts on why worship matters. Why do we worship together? Why does it matter? Why is it important? And the first thing is that worship brings transference. Uh, turn your Bibles over to Acts 2, and let's start in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in the meals and of prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now, in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said something. He said, Thy will be done, your kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. Worship allows us to bring transference. What that means is transferring God's way, the kingdom of God, as it is in heaven, onto earth. What we see in Acts 2 is a picture of biblical kingdom-minded community. So what does that mean? What does our community look like? Worship allows us to transfer that because in our own brokenness, it's hard to do that. What are we currently transferring? If you look over the last two years or just over the last two months, what are we transferring as believers? Talking strictly about Christians and followers of God. If we look at comment sections, are we transferring kingdom-minded community? If we look at the way we deal with people who disagree with us, if we look at the way we have treated people who think differently than us, who look differently than us, um, what is it that we're transferring as a people right now? In order for us to be able to establish God's kingdom on earth with the way that we live, with the way that we carry ourselves, with the way that we love each other, it has to start with worship because the only way that we could possibly bring that into the world that we see, the broken world that's around us, is through that reverence and adoration of God, that constant worship, that constant keeping things in mind that he is showing us. Secondly, worship strengthens our faith. If you jump over to 1 Corinthians 14, let's start in verse 26. My brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, probably Megan on her melodica. Uh, another will teach, probably Sherry. Uh, another will tell some special revelation God has given, which will definitely be Pastor Julian or the prophets in the room. He always has a word. Uh, one will speak in tongues. Shout out Pastor Jason Epps. And another will interpret. Shout out Corinne Epps. Uh, but everything is done and must strengthen all of you. Faith comes by the hearing of the word. The only way to walk out this faith is through worship. Uh, there's a clinical psychologist that I follow who in the recent years has been on a journey of studying the Bible and giving lectures on the Bible as a historical book and the impact of the physical Bible uh, as a library of books, a collection of books. And when he started the journey, he was a self-described atheist. 
And recently, some of the things he shared in some of his lectures, as well as in interviews, have caused more people to ask him, does he believe in God? And his response was really, really interesting to me. What he said was that he doesn't know how anyone could have the audacity to say that they believe in God. But what he does say is that he tries to live in a way that God exists. He tries to live as if God exists and does that to the best of his ability. When he shared the thought that what does it truly mean to believe? If we say we believe in God, what does that look like? If we truly wholly believe in Christ, we accept it 1000%. And that means that we do away with things like um, hatred, revenge, unforgiveness, that in spite of all the evil and ugliness we see in the world, we always choose good. We always choose peace. We always choose righteousness. Um, we always respond to attack or to offense with grace and that we live as righteously as possible. We always choose the truth. We always speak the truth. We walk that out. And in that definition, many clinical psychologists believe the truest sign of what we believe is our actions. So if you had no words and you couldn't tell me what you believed, or if you asked me if I believe in God, I couldn't simply say, of course I believe in God. Of course I believe in Jesus. Only my actions were a response to that. What would my actions actually say I believe? Under that definition, I feel like maybe I believe 70% of the time, because there's definitely times that I don't always choose forgiveness. I almost cut someone out on the way here on the freeway because one of my triggers is when someone doesn't know where they're going or when they're the left lane of the freeway and you're going 35 miles an hour, this is LA, like I need you to move. We're crowded, but we're moving at 85 miles an hour. There's no speed limit. It's just how fast you can drive. Um, grace is not always something I pick. There's definitely sometimes that as a pastor, I am called to lay hands when I would rather put hands on people if we're just being real. So who has the audacity to say what they truly, truly believe. In order to live that life, what would that look like if you 100% of the time believed what the word said? Even when you're insecure, even when someone has told you what you cannot do, um, even if you're waiting on a promise that God has given you and you don't have that spouse yet, you don't have that financial freedom yet, you don't have that healing yet, or you pray for someone and you don't see the outcome that you prayed for, do you still believe? What does that look like? So under that definition, I don't understand how we walk out any of this without faith. And in order to have our faith, we have to worship because worship turns our eyes and our attention to God. It turns us back to him in spite of what we see in the world, in spite of when we see children being killed in this country, in spite of when we see families being broken apart, in spite of when we see marriages being torn apart and children paying the price for that, in spite of the sickness, the, the pandemic we've been dealing with for the last two and a half years. When we look at those things, if we don't have faith to turn back to God, we can get caught up in the circumstances of our life and the circumstances of this broken world, worship takes us back to turning our eyes to Jesus. There is no way to walk this out. And that's another reason why worship matters and why we have to worship together, because faith comes by the hearing of the word. And we encourage each other with our faith, sharing what God has done in our life. Thirdly, worship is warfare. Second Corinthians 10, verse three through five. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. Strongholds of human reasoning 
to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. If worship is our form of warfare or how we fight our battles, as one of our worship songs states, then who is our enemy? What is our enemy? We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. How many times has our pride as followers of Christ, as Christians, uh, the things that we post online, the things we say, um, the way we respond to each other, how many times have those things been a stronghold? <clears throat> it's okay if people don't want to associate with you because you follow Jesus. It's going to happen. It's actually one of the promises in the Bible. It's not okay as followers of Christ if people don't want to associate with Jesus because of us and the way we walk this out. Our, our enemies, people who look differently, sound differently, believe differently, people with a different lifestyle, people with a different denomination, people who think women shouldn't wear pants in church, people who think that you should pray in tongues, you shouldn't pray in tongues, people who think that whatever it may be, who are our enemies? I think that keeping in mind who our enemy is, it's not a different political party. It's not a different culture. It's not a different nation. We find so many different reasons to fight each other over every little disagreement. I don't think we've become more divided uh, as a nation or as a society. I think that we've become more aware of it because we were locked in the house for two years and we had nothing to do but argue and sit in our own things without having to interact with people who think differently than us and feel differently than us. But if worship is our warfare, we also have to keep in mind who our enemy is, and we have an enemy. That enemy is Satan, and his goal is always, 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 always to bring division and cause division and cause distraction. Worship, the expression of adoration and reverence for God, again, turns us back to who he is, keeps in mind who our savior is, who our champion is, and who our enemy is. Worship brings our heart back to the foot of God and focuses on him. Lastly, worship keeps us in awe of God. God's word renews our reverence of him. The Bible is the most fundamental book in the history of the world. It's more, again, like I said earlier, a library, a collection of books. But when we think about it, there's no book that has been translated into more languages. There's no book that has been sold more times or given away more times than the Bible. There is no book that has as many commentaries. There are literally books breaking down a single sentence in the Bible. I don't know any other book that has been broken down that many times to still have revelations. It's outlasted regimes. It's outlasted dynasties. It's outlasted nations and civilizations. It will likely outlast everything that we know today. What is so special about it? And I think sometimes because we have access on our phone or we have our cute little translation and we have our highlighters and you know we post our pictures of our cup of coffee and our Bible and get my study time on, I feel like sometimes we can take that for granted. Understanding the Bible is the physical form of Christ, Christ in written form. Biblical principles include prayer, include worship, include reading, but biblical principles build on one another. And a person without values is a person without direction. In order to remain in awe of God, in order to be able to express reverence and adoration for someone, we have to remain in awe. And myself, I didn't grow up in church. I got saved in 2011 and baptized. And that was only 11 years ago. But there's been times where I have gotten familiar with God. 
the formulas of God. Well, I know what God would say in this moment. Well, okay, I know what worship. Okay, we show up to Sunday service. We got three songs of worship, maybe a bridge. You know, we're going to this. We got 30 minute message. All right, and then obviously there's going to be an altar call. And I break it down into formulaic things or someone says something like, oh, God loves us all. I'm going to share a message with you today about how God loves you. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. I already knew that. That's not really that deep. I become familiar with God and it breaks my ability to be in awe of him in order to worship, in order to express our reverence and adoration of God. We have to realize what he's done. We have to realize who he is and what we have access to. Worship helps renew our revelation of that. Worship helps to keep us in awe of God. I wanna read one more verse for you in John chapter four. Let's go to verse 23. The time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. In spirit means it's not a matter of location. If you're watching this message, chances are you're at home. You may be on your phone, you may be driving. And hopefully you're just listening if you're driving and you're not watching. Uh, focus on the road because we want to make sure we see you again. Um, but in spirit means it's not about a location. It doesn't just happen once a week in a building. We didn't have access to buildings for a number of months over the last two years. But worship still happened. Community still happened. In truth means that it can't be just words, but it has to be actions as well. Going back to the thought of what does it mean to say we believe? And what does it mean to have the audacity to say that we truly believe? What would it look like if we lived in a way that we 100% without a doubt believe the word of God, believe what it said about us, believe what it said about others. The image of God on others is what makes other people worth loving. It's what makes other people worth respecting. It's what makes other people worth honoring. And there are a lot of things in this world trying to teach us what to think. My job as a father is trying to raise my son and my daughter and teach them how to think because everything around us is trying to teach us what to think. There are a million things vying for your attention. There are a million people trying to get your focus on them. If you open your phone, you can find 15 different people who will tell you, this is what's important, this is what matters, this is what you need to do, this is a tragedy, this is what needs to happen. And if you don't know how to navigate that, if you don't have those values centered, if you are not turning your gaze to God and being mindful of who he is and what the kingdom principles are, you will get pulled in 50 million different directions and everyone will try to give you a purpose. Worship matters because it keeps us mindful of God. It's how we transfer the kingdom to earth, which we are called to do as followers. It's our form of worship and warfare. It is necessary for us to walk out with true faith when things get hard and it keeps us in awe of God. So I want to encourage you, don't let today, don't let this message, don't let once a week or whenever you're watching this be the only time that you worship. And don't get confused that worship is only about singing songs or only about listening to Maverick City music. It's worship is how we live. Worship is how we treat others. For parents, worship is living in consideration of God's word and teaching our children its significance and teaching them to do the same. And the last thing I wanna share is specifically to the men watching this. When I first came to church, I thought worship was something for women, if I'm gonna be honest. And that was because at the time, a lot of songs were all about like, you know, running in the field and being embraced. I'm like, listen, I'm a grown man. Like I just, that's not what I was doing. So my workout playlist is still not 
worship songs. It's just because, you know, there's time to go. But for men, worship is not just about singing songs. It's not just a, something that women do. And for years, when you've asked me about worship, I have said, my wife, well, she's a worshiper because I restricted worship to what it looked like at the beginning of service. And sometimes that's our time we're finding parking, that's the time we're getting Starbucks, whatever we're doing. Worship is how we live every moment, every day. I wanna make sure that you are mindful over the next seven days as we get back into this uh, message, as Pastor Julian comes back next week to continue the series on the tabernacle, on the temple and God's presence. What are different ways that you can worship? What is a new way you can add one day this week on how to worship? Maybe it's the way you treat people. Maybe it's someone that you call and do something for. Maybe it's just taking some time to turn off the TV, to turn your phone on to airplane mode and spend time in God's word. Maybe it's just sitting silently and praying. Maybe it is music. Maybe it is worship music. Maybe it is turning off something else for a while and listening to something that's edifying, that's building you up. But I want to challenge you. Find time this week to express reverence and adoration for God. And I'll see you next time. Love you, Oasis. Peace.